It's become so absolutely commonplace that I now cringe when I hear someone say to me, Oh, by the way, have you heard about so-and-so? They could be telling me about a move or a new job or a new baby. But I want to tell you the truth that anymore when I hear that phrase, Oh, have you heard about so-and-so? My first dreaded thought is, Oh no, please don't tell me. It's happened to them too. All too often my worst fears have been confirmed time and again. I realize more and more that no one, absolutely no one, is immune. In fact, the strongest marriage that you can think of today is also in danger. I don't know what's happening in our world. When I was a child, I probably knew one, possibly two, of my friends who came from broken homes. In the church, divorce was almost non-existent and unheard of among God's people. However, today it seems that the solid, happy, vibrant marriage seems to be an exception to the rule rather than the rule itself. From people that we never dreamed would have experienced marital problems come stories of affairs, of adultery, of separation, and divorce. Divorce rates are alarmingly high even though there has been a trending down. It seems that still about one in every two marriages is ending in divorce, particularly in the early years of marriages. The divorce rates are alarmingly high and the misery rate from those who aren't divorced is probably even higher. And it causes... uh, People like you and me to to stop and to take inventory and to wonder what's going on and how do we correct it? What do we do about this horrible trend that is ruining lives and tearing away at covenant marriages? We must also acknowledge this morning as we approach this topic that far too many of those who are experiencing the pain of divorce Far too many are the result of marital infidelity. In fact, there's some research that suggests that as many as 90% of first-time divorces, 90% of first-time divorces have been the result of or have involved infidelity, mostly during the last year of the marriage. Infidelity. It's such a genteel word for the act that describes. But the pain and the devastation that are wreaked, that that infidelity causes, are are horribly real. And there are even some in this room today that that are experiencing the pain of that in their own life today and still are wounded and scarred by it. We must also acknowledge that We live in a society that seems to glorify marital infidelity. That glorifies adultery and sex outside of marriage. The media around us seem to generally portray infidelity as something that is 
that is normal, that is to be expected, that is, is healthy. In fact, many of the heroes that our culture idolizes today around us are completely immoral. And yet, their pictures are the ones that are, that are on the front page of the tabloids and the magazines. It seems that breaking the covenant of marriage through infidelity is portrayed by contemporary culture as being something that is, that is reasonable, that is an alright acceptable way to, to free your life from the boredom of being married to the same person throughout the years of your life. And I think that even in the church, that some of us have become a wee bit anesthetized to the realities of this. And, and that we need to be very careful about some of the soft catchphrases that we use to, to, to describe marital infidelity. Because if we're not careful, we will get anesthetized to the truth and the reality of this matter. We use phrases like, well, it was just a little fling. It just was an emotional involvement, a romp, a little bit of harmless fun, a bit of romance, a, a, an opportunity to put some, a bit of spice back into my life again. But very rarely do we call it for what it is. It's adultery. It is the breaking of the law of God. And very rarely do we talk about the devastating consequences of this sin, for that's what it is, is sin. Very rarely do we bring it out into the light of day and do we talk about things like the, the breach of trust and the betrayal that, that the partner, the, the innocent partner feels and the brokenhearted spouses and, and the children who are caught up into this mess and are, are dragged through a knothole backwards with, with the separation and the transferal of of custody and the visits to courts and the high legal fees and, and everything that's wrapped up with it. Very, very seldom do we think about those things when we're thinking about this little extramarital fling. Very rarely do we think about it as sin, sin against a holy God, sin against ourselves, sin against the one with whom we're involved outside of the marriage covenant, sin against our partner, with whom the covenant has been broken. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And all too often I get to see it up close and personal as I walk through people who are going through it. So when Ben and I laid this series of messages out, I said to Ben, I, I absolutely have to deal with this topic. Believe me. I'd rather talk about anything else than this today. I'd like to, like to talk about something that's comforting and peaceful and makes you feel good, kind of a sugar stick that makes you go out of your way singing a happy tune. But I think that the church needs to come full face to the realities of what's happening in today's marriages and families. And we need to stop and turn around the trend that's happening both in society and within the walls of the church family. So without apology, I address this topic today on how to affair-proof your marriage. And today I want to share three ways to protect yourself against marital infidelity, ways in which you can protect the sanctity and the holiness of your marriage. Number one, don't be proud and don't be naive. Don't be so proud 
that you would come to a place of thinking that it can't happen to you. Because, my friend, better people than you have fallen prey to this temptation. Better people than I have fallen. And the moment that you start thinking that it can never happen to you, that you're beyond the reach of this, the moment you start thinking it can never happen to you, I tell you that you are in trouble. Every one of us is absolutely, I don't care who you are, every one of us is absolutely vulnerable. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful so that you don't fall. Be careful. Be on your guard. Watch. Because you too are vulnerable. Don't get puffed up in pride and arrogance and think, well, it can never touch my life. Because the moment that you think that you're invincible in this is the moment that you're in real trouble. Secondly, as a part of this, this first step of protecting your marriage, I want to encourage you not to be naive because you need to understand that there are actually people out there. I know it may be hard for you to believe this, but there are actually people who are hunting you down and they could care less whether or not they ruin your family, your life, your marriage, and your kids. I don't like to think that. I, I like to, to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm a very positive. I see the cup as being half full and not half empty. I'm a very optimistic person. I like to think the best of people. But my wife tells me that I'm naive. And I need people around me, like Kathy and others, who, who, who maybe see other aspects and facets of life and people that perhaps I overlook or I am blind to. And I just want to warn you, don't, don't be naive. Because there are people out there that don't care about you. All they care is about themselves. They don't care about what happens to your wife. They don't care what's happening to your kids. They don't care what's going to happen to your husband. They don't care what's going to happen to your family. They don't care what's going to happen to your reputation. They don't care what's going to happen to your good name. They don't care about what's going to happen to your extended family and your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and how this involves everybody in the whole mess. They don't care. All they are in it for is themselves. They could care less. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6 and 26 that the adulteress will hunt for the precious life and that there are people that are literally out there hunting and they just look at you as a matter of prey. P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y. Prey. They look at you as someone to be conquered. They look at you as a conquest. It might be the secretary at work. It might be the guy at the market. It might be some neighbor that's been uh, rather flirtatious with you. I don't know who it may be, but you need to be aware that there are people out there that are out to get what they want to get, and they don't give a hoot about you, your name, your, your reputation, your family, your kids, anything. In fact, the Bible in Second Peter talks about people that are in the church, even. It says that they have eyes full of adultery, and they come looking as though they have a heart for the Word of God, just like everyone else. But what they really got is something else on their mind. It says that those kind of people who are out, the, the adulteress are out there looking for prey, that they're looking for unstable souls. They are just there to find people that are unstable, that are on shaky ground, that are in a vulnerable position, 
to draw that individual into sexual sin. And I don't understand it, and I, frankly, I don't want to totally understand it. I don't know how, but they just seem to be able to zero in on people who are having trouble and who are vulnerable. The woman that's having problems at home. Her husband's not being the head of the home. He's not being the spiritual priest in the family. In fact, he's a bit of a jerk, if you want to be honest about it. And she's not real happy with her husband and not real content in the marriage. And this guy at church zeroes in on her and he speaks nicely to her and he listens to her and he pays attention to her and he makes nice compliments about what she's wearing and, and all these things that her husband isn't doing. And he seems so spiritual. And she's not happy in her marriage. And this guy zeroes in on her. And he speaks nicely to her like her husband isn't doing. And he seems so godly as compared to the spiritual clod that she's married to. And it's almost as if this guy can read her mind. She finds it so stimulating to talk to him. Feels a buzz in her soul. Though she might not admit it when she comes to church, she's just hoping that he will come up and talk to her again because it makes her feel so good. I've got a word for you if you're in that situation. It's a biblical word. The word is flee. Let me bring, put the cookies on the lowest shelf. If you find yourself in one of those situations, you need to run. Don't walk. Don't pass go. You need to run. You need to run away from that individual. You need to avoid that individual. You need to have absolutely no contact with that individual. You don't want to talk with that individual, even on a nice social basis. You don't want to text message that individual. You don't want to email that person. You don't want to call that person or have them text you, email you, or call you. You don't want to meet them for coffee. You don't want to go anywhere with them alone. You just want to walk, like I say, you want to walk a country mile around that individual and never go near them again. The Bible says flee. Run. Run away from that. Don't you go near it. Perhaps, though, it's not just a woman. Maybe it's a man. There's a woman at church. She seems so spiritual. She wants to be your prayer partner. You think, hey, there's nothing wrong with, with having people pray together. And you have this connection with this woman that you don't have with your wife. You, you've rationalized it. you justified it. You say, it's just innocent. She understands me and we pray together like my wife and I can't pray together. It's all innocent. But I'm just able to, to spill my soul to this woman like I can't do with my wife. Friend, I want to say to you, technically adultery, adultery is getting involved sexually with someone outside of marriage. But I wanted to tell you something, that there's also emotional adultery as well. Where emotional boundaries are crossed and boundaries of intimacy are crossed. And you begin to find yourself sharing things with a member of the opposite gender. You begin talking with that person in ways that only should be talked with your spouse, your life's partner. And if you find yourself in that situation, 
You need to run. Flee from immorality. So don't be naive. There are, there are people out there that are literally hunting you down like prey, and they could care less if your life gets ruined, if your reputation is smudged, if your kids get ruined, and your family breaks up. They do not care. So don't be naive, and don't be puffed up with arrogance thinking it can't touch you. Step number one. Step number two. If you want to protect your marriage, the first thing you need to do is make sure that you ensure the building up of making your marriage stronger. Work on making a healthy, happy, vibrant marriage. And to that end, I want to quickly, very quickly, give you five R's that will help you in having a successful marriage. The first R is the word respect. Learn to respect one another. I don't think that there is anything that is more odious or more disconcerting to me than seeing, uh, encountering people out in public where a couple is being rude and disrespectful to one another. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33 says, Husbands, you are to love your wives in the way that Christ loves the church, and wives are to respect their husbands. In fact, what that verse is enjoining us to do is to live under the authority and the lordship of Christ and live in mutual respect for one another. I constantly see this in public, where husbands and wives will be either rude to one another, or compete with one another in an unhealthy way, or be sarcastic and diss one another. Now, I know it's become socially acceptable to kind of be cynical and sarcastic and tear one another down. But I want to tell you, be careful about that, especially when it comes to your spouse. Don't you dare tear your spouse down in front of somebody out in public. You are to build them up. You may disagree with what they're saying. You can sort that out at home. In fact, I wish you would sort it out at home and not do it out in public. Sort it out at home and prayerfully consider how to resolve those differences together. But don't ignore one another. Don't compete with one another in an unhealthy way. Don't put each other down in public. Don't contradict one another. There needs to be respect and love and honor for one another. You are to honor each other as you honor the Lord. And if you are here today, and you're not yet married, but you're dating someone, or you're getting serious about someone, and you think you may be uh, soon engaged to them, and getting married to them, no matter how gorgeous or handsome they may be, or charming they may be, if you do not fully respect them, then I would say to you, you better run the opposite direction too. Because I want to tell you that outward, outward beauty with the passage of time fades. I'm a living example of it. Those, <laughs> those six-pack abs. I hate to tell you. I, last week, I participated in Arnold Morris, Larry Morris's father's funeral. Ninety years old. Passed in the presence of the Lord. Arnold Morris, Larry's dad, was laid out in the suit. This is the gospel truth. He was laid out in the suit that he graduated in high school from, with, and the same suit that he was married in 65 years ago. I got to tell you, I could not even begin to even get my leg in the suit that I was married in 29 years ago. The outward beauty is fading. 
There's bulges where there never were. There's wrinkles and hair where there never was. What you want to find is someone with character. I'm not talking about a joker. I'm talking about someone with godly character. And no matter whether that outward beauty fades, as you grow older together, you are falling deeper in love with each other because of your love for their character and their person, the person that they are. They may not be a princess anymore, but you're no king either. So, if you are dating someone and you don't respect them, don't marry them. A healthy marriage is built on mutual respect. And that needs to be in place first of all. Respect. Secondly, take responsibility for what is yours. I am so tired of people blaming the other person. Let's start taking responsibility for the messes that we make and fix the problem instead of of fixing the blame. Rather than attacking your spouse or your partner, why don't you get together and begin to attack the problem? You know, what I find today is people are willing to stand up for their rights, but they fall down again and again on their responsibilities. You start taking responsibility for the mess that you've made and your part in it and prayerfully work together with your spouse in sorting it out and with godly wisdom make a marriage that is healthy and vibrant. Accept responsibility for your actions. Work on the things in your own life. Take responsibility for them. Third, relate with one another. Again, we're talking about having a strong, healthy marriage. Learn to relate with one another. Recent polls suggest that many couples, the amount of time that many couples spend together communicating with one another is becoming shorter and shorter all the time. In fact, a recent Gallup poll indicated that many couples spend less, less than 10 minutes a day talking with one another. You can't build a strong relationship on that, friends. You have to take time to relate. Otherwise, you'll end up like living like two single people under the same roof, two ships passing the night. You don't ever relate. You never will. Quality time needs to be spent with, by you two in your marriage, communicating with one another, loving one another, listening to one another, sharing your dreams together, praying together, all of those things. You don't want to end up a few years down the road married to a stranger. You need to take time to relate to one another. Spend time together. The fourth R is romance. Kindle the romance. If there were more courting in marriage, there would be fewer marriages in court. I'm convinced of it. With some guys, it's almost like They're getting ready for a race when they're getting married. They get in shape, they work out, they get the six-pack abs. And when she says, I do at the altar, it's like they broke the tape, they got the trophy, they say to themselves, great, I've got her, I've made the conquest, I don't have to take care of myself anymore. And all they do is sit in front of the TV and get fat. Guys, I want to let you in on a little secret. The same things that you did to win her heart when you were courting her are the same things that you need to do to keep her heart when you're married. Continue to romance her. Continue to love her. Continue to listen to her. 
friends, I believe that God is into romance. If you don't think He is, then read the book of the Song of Solomon. I'll never forget the first time I read, when I read that in the Bible, I thought, this can't be in the Bible. And I know there are some people who want to make that out to be an allegory of the relationship between Christ and His church, and there's an element of that there too. But I really believe that there basically is a book dealing with romantic human love and sexuality between a husband and a wife. God is into romance. Let that romance be in your marriage. Take time. Talk to her tenderly. Listen to her. Caress her. Touch her. Walk with her. Hold her hand. Make her feel like she's a a porcelain teacup and sat on a pedestal, love her and care for her. The good thing. Unleash that romance within the confines of marriage and you'll find a healthy, vibrant marriage. The fifth R under this making a healthy, strong marriage is the word resolve. If you haven't already resolved today that you will be a faithful partner for the rest of your days until your last breath, That's what you promised, whether you know it or not, whether you remember it or not. That's what you promised if you were married in a Christian ceremony. To love, to care for, to nurture, to help, to be faithful to her, to him, as long as you both shall live. Not until you fall out of love. Not until you don't have the feeling anymore. But to love her as long as you both shall live. Don't buy into the lie that if you're not married, you can have a fulfilling life. Or if you could have somebody else, that my life will be happier. If I could be with that person. You know what? You're just trading one pack of problems for another pack of problems. And the pack of problems you're trading for probably has more problems than the set of problems that you're already dealing with. So resolve to be faithful to your partner right now. And you can't do it on your own. You need God's strength and power at work in you to do, to do that. There's a word that I'd like to say to sing, singles today, too. As I said last week, I want you to remember that if you're single, if you are not married, it's not equivalent to having the plague. There's nothing wrong with singleness. Be content in your singleness. For some of you, God may, be, may have given you a gift of singleness. You're saying, what kind of a gift is that? I don't want that gift. Perhaps some of you, that is your gift, a spiritual gift. Perhaps you're in this period where God is, is, is shaping and molding you and, and making you whole and, and readying you for that partner that He wants to bring into your life. Are you surrendered to that? Are you willing to, to live that out until God would bring that person into your life? Be careful, single. I had a single person come to me after first service and say, and Pastor Rick, I think you need to say to the singles in our church body, and I agree, make sure that you don't become an instrument that destroys a married couple's relationship within the church or outside. Be careful about that too. Number three, a third way to protect yourself from adultery I think probably the most important is to guard your eyes and to guard your thought line. In Matthew 5 and 27, Jesus speaks about the Old Testament commandment of adultery and he expands upon it, he extends it and brings a new dimension to it. 
Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 27. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. Now again, Jesus is adding a new dimension to the Old Testament law uh, that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, do not commit adultery. Jesus says, though, if you lust ever after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. We know this, that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And when Jesus talked about plucking out your eye if it offends you and cutting off your hand if it offends you, he was not talking literally about plucking your eye out or cutting off your right hand. He was just saying that the eye represents the inward thoughts of the heart and the hand represents our actions when it graduates to the outward act. And when that kind of thing happens, we need to deal with those things ruthlessly. Don't be soft on yourself when it comes to the things that you let through the mind gate and through the eye gate. Here's the progression. First, it is to the eye, which stimulates a thought, which moves to the hand, which moves to action, which moves to destruction. That's the progression. Eye to mind to hand to will to act destructively. So we need to catch it when it comes to the eye and when it comes to the mind. So, what do we need to do about the eye? First of all, we need to deal with anything in our life, and we need to deal with it ruthlessly, anything in our life that is causing impure thoughts, which could lead to impure motives and actions. If you are having problems with things that you're letting through the eye gate, if you're having problems with things that you see on the adult channel on television, then I want to advise you to go home today and on your way home, call the cable company. Don't wait. Call the cable company and cancel it immediately. If you have naked pictures of people of the opposite gender on your computer at home, you need to go home, deal with it ruthlessly. You need to go home and erase those pictures. You need to confess to your spouse that you're having a struggle with pornography You need to get some accountability software. If you need to know where to go, contact Pure Life Ministries in Dry Ridge, Kentucky. Pure Life Ministries in Dry Ridge, Kentucky. And they will set you up with an entire program that will help you if you're struggling in the area of things coming through the eye gate. My advice is deal with it ruthlessly. Also, I want to say to you that if you are involved with someone today outside the bonds of marriage, either emotionally or physically, if you are engaged in immoral activity, you need to stop it now. Don't wait. Stop it now. Call the person today and say, it's over. I'm not seeing you again. We're not talking again. We're not texting back and forth. We're not emailing back and forth. 
We'll have no conversation again. We'll not meet each other again. It's done. It's over. It's finished. I don't want to have any more contact with you. I realize today that I need to invest myself fully in my marriage relationship. It may not be the best. I may not be very happy, but with God's help, I'm going to be true to the promises that I made to my spouse, and I'm going to be true to and, and, and loyal and, and, and have integrity and fidelity in this relationship with my spouse, and I would prefer it. In fact, I demand it that you bug out and bug off. Whatever you want to say, get out of my life. And we're not going to have any more contact together. And as you do that, you also need to go to God and to repent of your sin, because that's what it is. You need to repent of your sin and ask God in His mercy and grace to forgive you and give you the strength and the inner fortitude to hold true to the commitment and the resolution that you've made to be true to your partner for the rest of your days. And I want to tell you that if that's the approach that you take to it, God in His mercy and grace, this is the marvelous thing. In fact, it makes me so excited, I could almost, I will, jump and say hallelujah. Because He takes our sin, Scripture says, and He removes it as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. He buries it in a sea of forgetfulness and it's covered by His blood and covered by His grace. And you don't, you don't need to punish yourself because God has removed His wrath and all of that from you. He's forgiven you. You need to forgive yourself and you need to now pick yourself up and begin to... I don't know what that was. Oh, it's the top of my pen. Thank you so much. I better take the pen out before I have ink marks and my wife will be mad at me. And then we'll have to kiss and make up. Yeah, woo. (laughs) Carol likes that. (laughs) Um, Where was I? Oh, His grace. Right. His grace. It covers all. And so if you're involved today... Not only do you need to make an action of your will and cut it off, but you need to go to God and ask for His forgiveness. He will forgive you. He will extend mercy to you. And He'll get you moving on a new path. But you need to surrender your will. You need to surrender your all to Him and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. I need your power. I need your strength. Time to get honest, folks. It's time to take the masks off that we wear. It's time to get real with one another. And there needs to be healing in some homes and some marriages within the church. And I want you to know that you have my complete support and backing, my prayers. I'll I'll get you to counselors, able counselors that we refer to, to get you to counselors if you need counseling help. I'll I'll help you in any way that I can, but you need to begin to take responsibility. And the first step is to cut it off and begin afresh with God. And deal with whatever sin is in your life, deal with it ruthlessly. But I have found in my pastoral ministry that it's not the big things that cause us to stumble in marriage, but instead it's the little things. It's the little foxes that spoil them. Not the great crisis, it's the little resentments that fester and continue to gnaw away at our relationship. Things like taking one another for granted. 
not saying important words to one another like thank you and I appreciate you and I love you and I care about you and I want the best for you. Things like bad habits, like being chronically late or constantly interrupting or not listening or not taking care of your appearance, which any one thing alone wouldn't be a big deal, but some of those things coupled together, those little foxes begin to tear away at the integrity of their relationship. And they begin to add up. And if they're not dealt with, they can grow into deep-seated resentment and hurt and even hostility. And I, I keep meeting couples who who get into these messes and they look, they come into the counseling room and they, they look at themselves and say, how, do we, how did we get here? How did we get to this place? And I can tell you exactly how they got there. It was those little things that they forgot to do. The little things of saying, I love you and I care about you and how can I serve you and, and let's, let's dream about our future together and I'm resolved to, 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 to resolve this conflict in, in our marriage. To learn to guard and protect your marriage, it's your sacred duty. It's your sacred duty to do so. And if you fail in this, you will have to give answer at the judgment bar of God. I have more to say, but no no time to say it. So I'm going to let somebody else say it for me. C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the great Christian thinkers, of the past generation, says something about being in love and loving and distinguishing between those two that is so profound it may be some of the most profound words ever written outside of Scripture concerning the issue of love. I've printed it out on the screen. I'm going to read it, but I want you to read it too in your heart because it really expresses what I think the commitment that you and I, if you're married, the commitment that we have to make to one another. Listen to what Lewis writes. Being in love is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. There are many things below it, but there are also many things above it. You cannot make being in love the basis of a whole life. It is a noble feeling, but it is still a feeling. Now, no feeling can be relied on to last in its full intensity or even to last at all. Knowledge can last, principles can last, habits can last, but feelings come and go. And in fact, whatever people say, the state called being in love usually does not last. The old fairy tale ending, they lived happily ever after, is taken to mean they felt for the next 50 years exactly as they felt the day before they were married, then it says what probably was never, was, or ever could be true and would be highly undesirable if it were. Who could bear to live in that excitement for even five years? (laughs) And if that were the case, what would become of your work, your appetite, your sleep, your friendship? But of course, ceasing to be in love need not mean ceasing to love. Love in this second sense. Love as distinct from being in love is not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in Christian marriages, the grace which both receive from God. They can have this love for each other even at those moments when they do not like each other, as you love yourself even when you do not like yourself. They can retain this love even when each would easily, if they allowed themselves, 
be in love with someone else. Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity. However, this quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. Profound words that need to be taken to heart by every devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that Kathy and I love each other and are committed to one another all of our days. Not an easy thing. And there are times when things come through the eye or the mind that could have the potential to set me on a path toward destruction. But I have prayed and asked God for help every day of my life thus far that I would be true to the vow that I spoke to her 29 years ago to be faithful and to have fidelity in my promise to her all the days of my life. And with God's help, I intend to do it. Do you have that kind of commitment? Are you taking those steps to protect your marriage so that you would not become another statistic? I pray so. I pray so. Let's stand together. If you're here today with your partner, your husband, your wife, may I suggest that it would be a good thing for you to just reach out and hold his hand or hold her hand for a moment. God, today I pray for couples who are here that that maybe have a mediocre marriage but a desire to make it great or maybe are struggling, or maybe have a good marriage and want to make it better. I pray blessing and your grace over them in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for couples here today and pray that that they would be true to the promises that they've made to you and to one another. We live in a world where Satan is having a heyday, Lord, on tearing away at strong marriages. And it, like a rampant infection, it is spreading through even the house of God. Will you protect our marriages? Will you help us, O oh God, to build strong, healthy marriages? Will you give us divine wisdom when we come into periods of trouble or conflict Will you give us the grace to forgive one another, to be tender-hearted with one another, to love one another, even when we don't feel like it. Help us to love even as you love us. I pray for individuals, Lord, who are caught up in habits today that are destroying the fabric of their marriage. I pray that you would give them the inner strength to be able to confess that to you, to confess it to their partner, to get help, to reach out, to someone to give them a hand up 
and that, Lord, there will be health and wholeness in the marriages of First Alliance Church. And that, Lord, we will stem the tide of the statistical flood that surrounds us in our culture of one after another biting the dust when it comes to marriage relationships. Lord, you are the one who created man and woman and you designed them to to help one another and to live their lives in a sacred marriage relationship. And I pray that you will fulfill by adding grace and mercy, help complete, Lord, your perfect work in each married couple. I pray, Lord, for the singles in our church. I thank you for each one of them, these sisters and brothers who grace our lives and pray that in this season of their life, they will find contentment, Lord, in their singleness, that they will be healthy and whole, and that, Lord, if, if you so desire by your sovereign will to bring someone else into their life with whom they can share life, we too will rejoice over that. Build up your body, Lord, and I pray that the testimony of our marriages will be a shining symbol to the world around us of the power of Christ. So now, Lord, dismiss us with your blessing. Cause us to live our lives in such a way that we would not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we pray it for the glory of your name. Amen. Go in peace.